Today's episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by Northern Nerdcast, a podcast on the awesome Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. Now, Northern Nerdcast deals with anything nerdy, that includes comic books, video games, board games, escape rooms, movies, TV shows, and on and on and on. The cool thing is that, first of all, they like to highlight a lot of local stuff that's going on in Edmonton and in Alberta, so you'll get this local vibe. And second of all, they do their show live, so you'll hear them on their show on their first take. And you'll see them out and about in many locales around the city, so when if you see them, say hello. Check out the Northern Nerdcast, plus many awesome podcasts at the Alberta Podcast Network, which you can find at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Modern Manhood, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. It's a podcast trying to make sense about how masculinity affects people and how it shapes our daily world. I'm your host, Harman Vijegas. If I were to draw a map of the Venn diagram of the intersection of hockey and masculinity in Canada, it's basically drawing a very tight circle. How we as men here in Canada, especially in Alberta, view hockey players as these guys who laid out all in the line, you know, sacrificing mind and body to make sure our team comes out on top. It's, it's right at the top of the masculinity hierarchy. You know, researchers like C.J. Pascoe and uh, Ray Wynn Connell had long mentioned that we as men view athletes at the pinnacle of how a man should be. This has been ingrained to us since we were kids. And I can say even as adults, we admire these players to what they can be and look to them to be examples of leaders, to show us perseverance, resiliency, and humbleness. Things that we look towards for ourselves. In Canada, hockey is number one. There's no debate about this. So hockey players have a distinct role to play in how Canadian men act and behave. So, therefore, the question then becomes, are these men doing a good job? Is the NHL, the biggest hockey league in the world, doing a good job in showing these values that kids, especially young men, will look up to? To try to answer these questions, I invited Carl Landra, who is another person that just joined us on the Alberta Podcast Network. This is actually a coincidence because we didn't know this was going to happen before we did this interview. So this is a, a nice, a nice coincidence. Who has helped run a, a very popular hockey podcast, The Fourth Line. And we take some time to talk about these issues, for instance, like LGBTQ representation in the NHL, domestic violence with players, and questions like, does the NHL actually care about their players being idols to kids? So I hope you enjoy the conversation that Carl and I have. And before we start, though, there's <laughs> there was a little small technical difficulty. This interview is brought to you by ATV Financial. Have you ever went to a bank and thought, man, these people are not listening to me? Well can't tell you if ATV was that bank for you, but I do know that they are working to be better listeners. In fact, they're opening up their communication lines to understand what Albertans really care for and what they want of a financial institution. So go ahead, let them know what you like. Tell them all your feelings and thoughts around investment or um, what you want out of a bank, because they're listening. 
you can go to atb.com slash listen for more information. That's atb.com slash listen. So that was great. That was a good that's a good start to the morning. <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna find a piece of paper here to or open a document to write this down. And then I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Hello? Hello. As soon as I opened that up, I was like, Oh, here it comes. And there's blue <laughs> blue screen. Great. It's great. Oh, it's uh, done, yeah. Yeah. So not not the best thing, but that's okay. I think we're good. Um, hopefully that won't happen again. <laughs> Hockey's always on my brain, uh, just because I live in Edmonton and I, you know, hockey's everywhere here, especially, um, during the winter seasons. And I always want to talk about the relationship between, uh, masculinity and hockey and how that relates to each other. Um, so I'm glad to have you here. You know, you're, you're somebody that talks hockey all the time. Um, so I really want to get your, your insight in a lot of these things. So, uh, welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be on and just talk about, you know, the world of hockey is a very, especially like the NHL, it's men's sports. It's very masculine. Um, and I'm, you know, excited to talk about what that looks like and what, what that is. It's interesting you say that because in Canada specifically, the the realm of hockey and the way that masculinity is played um, during hockey is the way a lot of men see themselves at or they compare themselves to. Certainly, yeah. I think if you, you know, you define yourself by a lot of things and growing up as kids, in especially in Canada, um, our heroes are, are hockey players. And so you, you know, you look at, you know, Wayne Gretzky as a kid or Sidney Crosby right now, Connor McDavid. These are the, you know, the best players out there. And you, you know, you have your local heroes and these are the guys that, you know, little kids are putting on and that's how they start to define themselves. They want to be that. And so we look at ourselves through that lens because that's who we want to be when we grow up. Do you see some problems with that or do you see that that's something um, healthy? I think when we look at it, um, a lot of athletes, you know, you hear the conversation all the time of an athlete saying, well, I'm not I'm not a role model. Um, I don't want you know, that's not who I am. And that's not true in the slightest, because whether you like it or not, kids look up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's 100 percent a reality. So when you have this kid who's, you know, four years old, five years old, six years old, whatever it is watching you, that's the way that. It works, so certainly it has an impact on that. Yeah, for sure. It, it's it's funny you say that because I I was just I went to my nephew's birthday party and uh, he's five years old and he asked his dad to give him you know these little cake pops but they're like dressed up in in like hockey helmets and he asked to put like ninety seven on it and I'm like you know he's five years old this is like Connor McDavid to him is going to be the the guy for him for a long, long time. And the way that he does things and the way that he portrays himself in the real world is the way that he it wants to be. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. So if he does something wrong or if he does something weird, I don't know if you remember when you were a little kid and you really idolized a hockey player. 
how do you think that that shapes a little mind? Certainly, you know, not every athlete does the nicest of things. And as a kid, you don't understand that until it becomes a thing, right? Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember back to the first instance of that. I think, you know, the one that stands out to me the most, and I wasn't a kid at the time, but the kind of the first negative incident was like the, the Todd Bertuzzi incident. Oh, when yeah. He, when he jumped Steve Moore there. Um, you know, I was probably 13, 14. I, I knew that hockey had a violent side to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, you know, you, you kind of do that. So as a kid, you know, let's say, you know, Todd Bertuzzi was not a, an unknown quantity in Vancouver at that time. He was a big part of that team. So you're a kid in Vancouver and all of a sudden, you know, a guy that you like, a guy that you cheer for and want to watch play does that, um, that, has a huge impact on how you perceive things because now you have to rectify it and adults have a hard enough time coming to terms with that right when oh, someone totally. on your when an athlete does something you're like oh what do i do what do i do like this guy whose jersey i have who's now you know charged with a crime or suspended for this thing that i don't condone but that's the jersey i wear to a game it's, it's tougher an adult and i think as kids it's even more difficult yeah, totally. I. That's funny you say that. Like the the adults have a, a a tough time with that. And you know, and we were talking just earlier. We we're talking about like the the Patrick King saga, and he was a, he's a star um, in Chicago. And like I I totally see this like kind of defense mechanism that gets put up to their stars, and you know, saying things like, oh, you know, we we gotta wait till everything's good. You know, I think he. He got the bum rap here, and like we still don't know what happened in that case. That case is really, really weird. But even then, like like people defended him pretty tightly, and it it's a, it was a weird thing to see. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I know like we didn't at the time really talk about it on the show because, and I think we we did say this on the show is that he either isn't guilty and we don't want to talk about it, or he did something terrible and we don't want to promote it. Mm-hmm. And we still don't know what the actual truth of it is, whether he did something he shouldn't have or yeah. some even something not necessarily something illegal, because I think there's, you know, a difference between what's illegal and what's a skeezy move. I will never know. You will never know mm-hmm. what actually happened. And to me, that's a, I, I'm not going to promote anything in regards to that. Yeah, I'm not going to talk negatively about Patrick Kane because of something that I don't know about. And, I, you know, as in the public eye, that's a huge thing of what what is or isn't you become. And that's the same thing. You know, that's the same realm as the I'm not a role model. Yeah. Like what you do is now a matter that people care about. If you're you know, if I'm out at a pub on a Friday night, no one knows or cares, you know, what I'm talking about or anything like that. When you're suddenly an, a professional athlete playing in one of the biggest markets in the United States and the the best player on that team in the biggest market, one of the biggest markets, you are suddenly a target for the media. People care what you do. People care what you say. People care about your actions. And when you act in a questionable manner, it's going to become news. I I see a lot of people have um, a problem. I mean, hockey players in general have a problem with trying to separate that i think i see a lot of players actually are really good with that and try to be role models for their kids you know like i think of um just retired andrew ference he like i know him i know more of andrew ference for the stuff that he does outside of hockey 
than what he did in hockey. Like what he did for the Oilers was very minimal <laughs> for the stuff that he did outside in the community. Do you think that the NHL does a good job in trying to you know explain to their players that uh, you you are a role model to these kids and trying to do things like this, or do you think that the NHL you know still has some problems in trying to promote their players in that respect? I think that they still have a problem. I think every professional sports league has that problem. Does the NHL do it better than others? Maybe. Because there is a very large amount of players who do it that well. Like if, especially if you look, like in Canada, Sidney Crosby was the most marketed player in the league. And now, you know, he hasn't handed that fully over to Connor McDavid, but in due time he will. And those are two guys who, you know, keep their image very clean. They don't really ruffle any feathers. Like the fact that McDavid called out Brendan Manning earlier this year, everyone was like, well, Connor McDavid said something like not even controversial, but like he said something negative about another player. That was a huge story. They were like, like he has personality. Like that's a, he has it. Percent. So true. And so like that's part of the whole realm of it is kind of the the top two most marketable players in Canada right now are very clean in their image. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, that's something that the NHL probably appreciates. They don't want to have their best athletes having problems. Yeah. Uh, I think from that angle, it's good. And I think that they are trying to remove some of the negative aspects from the game. You're seeing fines. Uh, for negative behavior on the ice, whether it be things that are said, actions that are taken that are, you know, not appropriate, whether like any any form of slur is not condoned by the league. And, you know, in every sport that's going to happen, that's not something that we will, you know, I'd like if that could be removed, but it it's probably not a realistic expectation. It can be a goal, but to fully remove it will not happen. But the NHL does what they can to remove that and to help people at least be aware. You yeah. know, because you say that and you it will probably never cross your mind. And the fines that they hand out are not a backbreaking amount for these yeah. players, but it, it's enough that you think about it. Like yeah. I have been punished and I've been publicly punished for it. Now yes, people exactly. know what I've done. And that, you know, it's not good. And some people will care. Some people will not. Some people will like that. They'll be like, oh, like, I love that this guy says whatever he wants. But um, the NHL makes sure that they, you know, can can do that. Because from the marketing side, if Connor McDavid, you know, used some sort of offensive remark on the ice and got suspended for it, his sponsors, his team probably wouldn't be too happy with him. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, I think that goes, that goes back to um, <laughs> the very kind of conspiracy theory of like is is does the nhl protect people like Sidney crosby or people like Connor mcdavid uh because yeah i'm very curious as to what would happen if Connor mcdavid gets caught saying a a slur a, a gay slur or a racist slur or whatever it's not just this fine that they get it's like, like whatever they got but it, it is a public shaming and yeah i wonder how they how would they would treat that in that respect, that that kind of has happened. That a that a very popular player has gotten into trouble. We're not even talking about Patrick Kane. We're, um, you know, I I brought up the issue of Bobby Hall, um, and Bobby Hall has had a lot of history of, of domestic violence and um, and has had a lot of 
problems in that regard so much so that like the Winnipeg Jets they want to step away from Bobby Hall um, I don't know if he got invited to to play in the I know there's something going on when, when the Heritage Classic was going was on um, that Bobby Hall was either not not present and I think a lot of it was because of that um, but he still shows up in NHL ads so you, what do you make of that I get why he still shows up in ads because to a lot of people they don't know that right they a lot of the average fan doesn't know the not nice part of that so they they know Bobby Hall is a great player and he certainly was and so I get why the NHL still uses that because it works for them their their goal is to make money and they can do that and um, however for the core of a fan base they know their players quite well they know you know the good and the bad of that and so I, I get from the the jet side why they want to distance themselves from Bobby Hull and that aspect of it the, especially like the Winnipeg Jets are a team that is very much having to tailor to a fan base right mm-hmm. now they are a team that you know coming back into the league um, you know they haven't won a lot of hockey they are literally still running based off of nostalgia yeah, pretty much totally. like that's that's how people show up in the building to remember the Jets and so yeah it's a big deal to them to to treat that relationship well Bobby Hall aside, do you think that the NHL does well in in trying to deal with things like domestic violence? In the case of like things like Voinov or Varlamov or any any one of those people, I I think so because you see, I've seen it. You know, no one's gonna be able to do it as well. And what's difficult is you have this scenario where there is the balance between accusation and guilt. And so, for example, in the the Varlamov situation, one that I'm close to, that was, you know, I am an Avalanche fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry to you, but that's okay. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's some, something I'm dealing with in an entirely different realm. Um, so like, with the Varlamov thing, he was found not guilty in mm-hmm. the end. He was cleared of all charges. And that was something. And then he went back with the team and he did that and he... You know, he was with the team during that time, whereas Voinov was suspended immediately and removed from the team. And, you know, there there was guilt in that scenario. And so for me, there's there's that difference. And it's tough for a league and a business and people to know, because essentially, in a lot of ways, there's the perceived guilt immediately. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need to find a way to deal with. We, we want to take these very seriously and we should take them very seriously. These, you know, domestic violence or any sort of, you know, uh, sexual assault, domestic violence are huge deals that as a society we need to handle better. And so we should treat them seriously. We should make sure that as a, as a sport, it's not something that we condone. And it, it is something that in the past was okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, could have you know festered in that and grown out of it so um certainly when it comes to you know the voinov the varlamov and any other scenarios like this i am very okay if the team does you know says you know what maybe just take some time off certainly to deal with that problem right um but also to kind of say like like this is something we take seriously um so i again you know if it were to happen with the avalanche, if someone on the team were to deal with that and they were to, you know, 
suspend them um, with or without pay. Um, I think, you know, the pay becomes a different issue, but yeah, you have something more important than the game of hockey happening right now, and you mm-hmm. need to deal with that. Um, and it, it needs to become something that isn't just about the team and about the player. And I know that's the team's job, but the league's job, and especially the PA's job, the Players Association's job, is to take care of their players. It should be very important for them to have a healthy life outside of the game of hockey. And you know, totally. if that's something if that's something you're dealing with, whether there is guilt there or not, there is something that is probably well, there is something that's not okay in your life, and that should be a huge deal. You know, I see this too with like when the Patrick Kane incident happened. Um, you know, he got taken off the cover of the EA Sports game, and you know that was business basically. Um, but he also, but he still was allowed to skate and he was allowed to practice. And so, I don't know if the Hawks did a good job in trying to just say like, hey, listen, you're dealing with this thing. Just once you're cool with this, then we can move on. But I don't know. That took a long time to to get dealt with. And I don't think like the Hawks being without Patrick Kane, especially that year, that year he had like an amazing season and he won the Hart Trophy. So for the Hawks to say like, okay, take some time off to deal with this. I can see their business side coming to say, well, that's one of our more marketable players and also one of our best players. So are we cool with like letting him sit for three months so he can deal with this? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I definitely get that. Speaking of domestic violence, though, I do want to bring up this case, which I, you know, I'm still reading news about. I still haven't read any news that that led up to like tell me what happened. Uh, so last year, Alex Galchenyuk got involved in a domestic violence uh, case, but it was opposite. He was the one um, who was the victim. He was the one who called the cops on his girlfriend. It's, it was really fascinating and interesting because you don't really see this too often. Um, very publicly anyways, but the way that he approached it was really, was really weird to me. So Alex Olchaniak went, when he came back to the, to the Habs, um, he said, you know, like he didn't want this to be a distraction for the team. Like, and he also like basically apologized to it. He said, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a distraction. I'm sorry. Oh, my, I'm a distraction. I do want to just deal with this and move on. If we reverse the roles here, if we say that this is a, a women's league and a woman was suffering as a victim of, of domestic violence, they would they would have these public views of support or public saying that we're we're with this person, but there was none of that for for Galchenyuk. People just kind of just like brushed it aside almost. Why do you think that is? I think it it there's the cultural assumption that. You know, domestic violence does not happen from women towards men and that like men are the tough men are tough and that doesn't happen. And it's clearly not true. We see that in this instance. And I think, you know, part of that kind of scoffs it off the the, especially in sports, the general, well, you know, the assumption of men being tougher is you know, permeated into the fact that, well, you know, it, it can't be that bad. Like you're a big, strong man. You're a hockey player. You're tough. You know, it's, it's not an issue. And so going into that realm, it 100% should be looked at in the same way. It's, um, it is an issue for both players and it, or not, not both players, but both genders, both mm-hmm. roles. Yeah. Um, 
whether a man doing that to a woman or a woman to a man, it should not be criticized or looked down upon more or less from either. They are both equally terrible. The lack of like public support for Galchaniac. Um, do you think that has to do with uh, the way that that men kind of deal with these kind of issues in, in general, like especially issues of I'm thinking of especially issues of mental health. I like do you think that specifically hockey players, specifically athletes just kind of bottle these, these up and don't want this to be brought out? It seems kind of shameful uh, in the in the mental health realm. That's a, a really interesting one. Um, because I think, you know, in general, in society now, we're starting to see more of an acceptance of acknowledging mental health struggles and remedying to fix them. And you're seeing that into sports. And, you know, in sports, you have, you know, the sports psychologists are becoming a huge thing. Um, and I think it, it kind of hit a point recently, um, especially in Canada, when Roberto Osuna, closer for the Toronto Blue Jays, missed a game. Mm-hmm. Simply because of anxiety, like he could not handle what was happening around him. He was becoming anxious. He he's setting records for the most saves at his age, and yet it was too much for him. It's overwhelming. And he, you know, he met with the team psychologist. He met and talked about it and worked on it and fix and you know tries to fix it. And that's something that you know I had never seen a player miss for that reason mm-hmm. you you see you know players struggle with the ups and downs of losing in sports all the time it's something that you know we've seen you know lots of players who can or cannot handle losing or you know a cold streak or whatever that may be but the fact you know the support that you saw coming out from his teammates from the team from his manager for Asuna in that instance to say, you know, we're behind him. We're going to give him this time, give him whatever time he needs to get himself right, to get himself back together is a huge step forwards yeah. in in the mental health aspect in professional sports. Yeah, and that, the Osuna case was fantastic. And I think, like, it, it was so cool to see that publicly. I mean, I'm, I hope that Osuna is doing well. Um, he said that he was doing well. He was talking about it in the All Star Game. Um, that was really cool to see, and I'm and I'm very curious as to like if the NHL would ever say would ever do that to some, to another player. And also like I've read many pieces on the Players Tribune. Like I was thinking of like Dan Carcillo and his fight to help people outside of retirement. The case of Corey Hirsch, who who said he was this close to completing suicide he finally got a conversation with um i think it was trevor linden that was fascinating for me to for me to hear and i think that that's becoming a little better but i still worry sometimes <laughs> about these things especially the things like the like pat maroon you know and about this concussion protocol thing that i think there's the, these still little barriers and gaps uh that uh hockey players still need to get through um specifically with like the high risk and the high playing through pain aspect. Do you think that that's, that's becoming much a bigger problem nowadays because of the whole debate around concussions? Yeah, it was a big thing. I don't know if you saw a um, documentary that came out last year, Ice Guardians. Um, that was something they talked about a lot in that. Or not, a, not a lot, but an amount in that. They, you know, they talked about the role of the enforcer in the league. They had, uh, you know, former enforcers. One that stands out to me the most in that is Kevin Westgarth, who at the time was playing over in the, the EIHL and talking about the impact that, you know, being an enforcer in the league has on you. It, it's something that a lot of these guys did not 
choose to do when they started. This was a way that they could continue playing hockey. They were not skilled enough to be a top player, but they found out if I fight someone, I can play. And these are guys who, you know, it's a change in mentality, a change in that, and dealing with the mental aspects of that is huge. And, you know, I would be incredibly sad. Well, and and I haven't because we've seen, you know, individuals, you know, commit suicide or, you know, struggle with substance abuse. I I think of, you know, Rick Ripon, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the Minnesota Wild guy's name is uh, slipping my mind right now. Derek Bugard, there you go. Um, these are guys that, um, you know, Wade Belak, these are guys who have passed away way too short, way too soon because of this aspect of it. And I, I, I'm seeing the NHL start to take this more seriously and they have to, Mm -hmm. it's something that if someone gets to the point that they're even considering that, that you need to work with them to help them. No one should have to deal with that. No matter if you are an enforcer or not, if you're a tough guy or not, coming, especially if you're a tough guy, if you play a tough role on the ice to then have to have the vulnerability to go off the ice and say, Hey, I'm not okay. I need help. I need to deal with this. You know, the, the on ice persona, if becomes your reality of the tough guy, I can handle this. I can do it by my own. I don't need that. Whereas, you know, we're, we know that you you can't do it alone sometimes when things get tough you need your friends family and sometimes even professionals who know how to handle those problem scenarios to help you through those mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally and i i'm glad to see this coming out too especially with the nhl is becoming a little bit better in kind of acknowledging these cases and having somebody like the the, the quote-unquote concussion doctor uh come out and take players out and the 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 Pat Maroon incident that happened, like he said, it was like, oh, this is a man's game, and he, I know that he was trying to, I know what he was trying to say. He wasn't saying, uh, this is not a little boy's game. This is a this is a grown man's game. Not wasn't anything sexist. <laughs> um, but even in that comment, he insinuated that you know that players can't take care of their own health by themselves. Um, and I question that sometimes because I. If if Connor McDavid said to his coach, um, "Yeah, I got hit on the head. I think you know I should take myself out because you know like I might have a concussion. I don't know yet. I have a tough time believing that that he would do that. First of all, and or his coach would be like, "No, you're fine. Just go out there because you're Connor McDavid. You might get three points this game." Like, do you find that tough to believe too, or is that just me? Uh, I would have found it tough to believe about 10 years ago. Um, now I, I like the fact that if it were to come out that Todd McClellan had said that and Connor McDavid was sent back out there with a concussion and then they said, Oh yeah, that's fine. Like the ramifications of that and the liability of that, you know, the NHL has been in this lawsuit for years and it's still dragging on. So from that side, I think, if I were a coach, I, even from that side, I would not want the liability of me sending a player willingly out there. I might, you know, say, leave it up to him. Like, oh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, good. And not ask more questions. Mm-hmm. But I certainly would not want to put put my own self on the line and say, yeah, you're fine. Get out there and play. And you shouldn't. I think we want to make sure that people are healthy. Um, in all aspects and you know we're we're continuing to see more 
concussions and concussion behavior improve? It was a, a, an interesting dynamic this offseason with Crosby and his surprisingly quick return from concussions. Yeah, that was another thing, too. I was like, he was off for like a day, two days. <laughs> like, I think he missed a game or two games, right? Well, and then there there was the one where he, you know, arguably probably should have left the game and didn't. <laughs> and, and this is a guy who, you know, at this point, Sidney Crosby knows concussions. Mm-hmm. Um, he has dealt with them for quite some time. And so one would think Sidney Crosby knows if he has a concussion or not. And at that point, it's, well, okay, if you assume he knows if he is or is not concussed, does he care enough to play and or not play and make those decisions? And that's, that is a, a very personal decision and something that as we continue down this path, this trajectory that the league's on, we will see less of that. We'll see less people playing with concussions and putting themselves at risk in that way. But I, I obviously do not know Sidney Crosby yeah. and do not know what was happening with him. And I, I, you know, we'll never know in that, in that area, but it's, it's something we will see less of. And I, while also being a huge hockey fan, um, something in Canada that's less popular, I'm a huge NASCAR fan. Oh, okay. And, um, last year, I don't know how many of your listeners do or do not Never care know. about this. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll keep it short just in case, but, um, I guess if they're a NASCAR fan, they already know, but Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, had a, a big concussion last year. Um, missed a lot of the year and then announced that this season would be his last because he, you know, he doesn't want another one of those. He doesn't want to miss time. He doesn't want that, that to impact his future. You know, he'd mm-hmm. just gotten married. He's just wanting to start a family. He, he doesn't want his brain to be irreparably damaged mm-hmm. from, from this sport that he participates in. So, wow. Okay. That's really cool actually to, to hear that. And I think it does, it will take like, you know, we talked to, at the start of the podcast. We started talking about role models and like how how players need to um, understand that they are role models for kids. I think this is a part of it. I think making these tough decisions. I mean, if if Sidney Crosby were to say during that playoffs, "Listen, I just got concussed. I I understand that you guys want to go back to back. I understand that I'm one of your, your I'm the most important player on your team." I got to sit out like I can't like if I take another one of these that might be it for my brain like I I really believe that I feel that we need more of that I think for this to start becoming more of a habit like the big players to say yeah I can't do this especially someone like Sidney Crosby who has like you said a concussion history like he's missed months and months of he missed half a season one year for concussions. I don't know. I find it really dubious that he just missed a couple games from that last concussion that he had. And because he was the most important player and then he went, he, he goes on to win a Stanley Cup. And like, I am very curious as to what happened behind the scenes for him to come out again. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point, though, about Dale Earnhardt Jr. That I think that's really, it's really cool, especially in NASCAR. That feels like it's more of like a, a place that's like a, "Quote unquote, like very manly man type of environment." Um, yeah, you know, it, it's no more so than any other sport. I wouldn't say. Okay, yeah, I don't really know about NASCAR a whole lot, but I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the last, the last uh, topic I wanted to talk to you about was um, was the, the concept of uh, inclusivity, and uh, 
the NHL is doing a, a lot of work in regards to making hockey a more inclusive environment, specifically for, for gay players or queer players, um, you know, starting with the You Can Play uh, movement and um, moving on towards uh, inc including things like Pride Tape. We still haven't had, you know, a public player come out, or at least an active player come out as gay. And like I was, I was sending to you as an email, I was like, statistically, there's got to be some. Brian Burke said that he's talked to some. Why do you think this someone hasn't come out yet? I think it's, you know, as much as the NHL has done the, uh, you know, you can play movement and worked hard to make people feel comfortable and safe and open in that realm. It's they're not there yet as you know, they want to work on that and they they need to work on that. I definitely think that you know, in due time we will because in all of professional sports, like you said, statistically, there are probably hundreds mm -hmm. of athletes in, you know, who identify in that way and they're not. And so I think these leagues have to work on that. And it's not it's not something that, you know, the league can do entirely. I think as we see people, you know, being more understanding of what these these people are going through it'll be more comfortable but when you're in those locker rooms clearly there's something going on there or um, you know locker rooms whether you're on the ice competing there's still reasons why people don't feel comfortable enough to be open about these things yeah i'm curious as like what your idea is to why why aren't they comfortable yet like why is there a little this lack of comfort still um do you think that there's, there's a weird locker room culture around it? I think a little bit of that, but also I think a little bit of not wanting to be the first. Mm, yeah. Because whoever this person is will be the first. And once someone does that, then you will see a lot more people be more comfortable because, you know, for for their interviews, you know, we, we saw that in uh, in the NFL, mm -hmm. you know, um, I forget the the linebacker's name. Um, he got drafted by the Cowboys, and that that was what they were talking about. It wasn't you know skill or anything like that. It was sexuality, mm -hmm. and that's what this player will you know deal with, quote unquote, is those questions. It won't be about hockey. It'll be about that. And so you need to not only be prepared to be open about that, but also to be essentially the poster boy right. for. Um, your sexuality that you become known for that instead of for your hockey and so then you have to be willing to play and deal with that and so in that realm i think that's a big reason of why we don't is because you know someone hasn't been the first i think the 200th player who does you know yeah. it won't it won't be as big of an issue and people won't you know all of a sudden you might just hear like oh yeah so and so is is, is dealing with this you know issue now you would you know trying to struggle with that identity in the future you'll just hear it and you'll be like oh okay yeah i didn't know that it's just a, a public record that no one really knows i yeah. don't know who most players you know this is the off season in the nhl and we're seeing player after player getting married i had no idea you know i saw cam atkinson post that he got married i had no idea he was or was not dating anyone and i didn't care that mm -hmm. was not something i do not care about cam atkinson's you know, I don't pay attention to his personal life. That's mm -hmm. not something that I feel the great need to know about. And I think we will eventually get to that point 
with all players in the league. But for now, you know, one player will be, you know, a big deal. That's true. That would be, you're right. You're right. I never thought about it that way. You're right. Like it will be the, the poster boy. And I really wish that we would get to a point where, you know, (laughs) Pierre Maguire just talks about it very like loosely, like, like this is part of like, (laughs) it's just day to day. Like, Oh, you see is, Oh, so-and-so's so-and-so husband's up there cheering cheering for him right now that's you know that's awesome i think i really wish that the nhl would just get to that point but you're right like being the first one is could be a big deal (laughs) for it and yeah you're right it would be the one i feel like maybe it would have to be like someone that's established already or someone that's like has already a kind of a marketable value and then to say like like, can you imagine, like, what it would be like if it, if it was somebody like Jonathan Taze? Like, who is this poster boy for the NHL that he would come out and say, you know what, I am actually gay. That would that would create that would create such a ripple effect, but we still would, would not take away the accomplishments that he has done uh, as an NHL player. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, and that would be a a big first step. Totally, um, Carl. That's. That's all I have for questions for you, my friend. Um, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, you know, I, I know you said that this is something that you guys don't talk about too often in your podcast, but I, I appreciate you coming coming over and just and talking about this kind of stuff. I think it's really important. Yeah, no, I, and I think you know there's a few reasons why we don't talk about it, but there's just it's not something that's not the the goal of our show isn't yeah, to talk totally. about that but it, it is something you know when things like this come up we we try to deal with it and um, definitely open to talking about it and you know sharing our thoughts and hopefully um you know your listeners might agree or disagree would certainly uh love to continue this chat uh afterwards yeah for sure you can definitely um catch carl and joel uh, on the fourth line um the fourth line podcast please check them out uh really awesome podcast um like you said it is something that's uh, you know they they're very much a hockey podcast so you know if if you love hockey uh check them out carl where can we find your work you can find us at the fourth line podcast.com we're on twitter at fourth line podcast um those would be the two best places if you're on facebook facebook.com slash the fourth line podcast if you search the fourth line podcast anywhere that you're looking for podcasts you'll find us as well so um yeah Feel free to come over, check us out, talk about hockey. Every week we do a weekly show. Um, It's been a lot of fun, even through the summer. So if you're like, man, I really want some hockey summer talk and you're sick of whatever your local team is, like diving real deep into your AHL team, we're here for you. (laughs) Awesome. That's perfect. (laughs) Um, Also, if uh, you're doing the fifth line too, correct? Is that Or is that something else? No, yeah. That's kind of a a new thing that we're doing, Um, us and our buddy uh, Mike. We have started a, you know, a new kind of, in some ways, we, we've kind of labeled it a spinoff of the the fourth line. And that's where we talk about just more general sports, um, kind of sports and culture. So this past time, uh, we talked about sitcoms and characters that we do not like on sitcoms. Oh. And then we did a... Uh, an imaginary league where you have to play, you take the, the four main sports. So in North America, hockey, basketball, football, baseball, and we picked, uh, seven man teams 
to play each of those sports. So we drafted from all the leagues. What seven players would we pick if you had to play all four of those sports? So that was kind of a fun conversation. Interesting. <laughs> Where did LeBron James land in this one? He must have been first, right? I, I took him first overall. Oh, yeah, of course. 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like crazy he, he, he is a tight end. Yeah. Like he, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, okay, so because you're an Avalanche fan, I do, I do want to kind of. Do you think the Shane's getting traded? I, if you had asked me this a month ago, I would have said yeah. It's um, how much more time Joe Sakic needs to make this happen. So, I um, I say there's a sixty percent chance that Matt Duchesne gets traded. Sixty percent. Okay. I. You know what? You're right. Like I thought. He would have been traded way earlier than that. I thought the, like the whole Everlay ha- thing happened. And I thought like, oh, Deshane's coming right after, but nothing happened. So yeah, I don't know. It's either this, or it's going to happen in September or October. I—that's I, <laughs> the only other thing I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, thank you, Carl. I really appreciate you being on. I hope everyone enjoyed that. I'm going to leave all the info about Carl and the fourth line right at the end of the show. But before we do that, I want to start highlighting men who are doing a good job in creating avenues which people can be helping, either by calling out toxic gender norms, uh, stimulating ideas about masculinity, or working to make the world a better place in regards to creating spaces for men or starting up a great conversation. And so for today's Man of the Hour is Eric Andre. Now, Eric Andre is a comedian at Adult Swim with a popular show, The Eric Andre Show, and he went on Twitter to call out some rappers who have a history of domestic violence, especially some younger rappers. Now, here's what he tweeted, and now excuse my language because I'm going to say this ad hominem. I was looking at World Star Hip Hop on my IG and they're always promoting XXX and Kodak Black, and I got upset. I was like, why can I complain about racism freely, but criticize a rapper's sexism and everyone gets butthurt? One or three women are beat, raped, or murdered in their lifetime. That's one billion women. Shit's gotta stop. No more apathy or indifference. Racism, sexism, homophobia, it's all bigotry. It's all part of the same systemic evil that keeps people subservient and disenfranchised. I hear people complain about racism, but turning a blind eye towards sexism, violence against women is wrong. Does that make more sense? Now, to me, this is something that has been lacking a lot of music lately, and you only get to see it in small doses. Uh, For example, I can think of the last one I've heard of was a band named Power Bottom, who got dropped from their label because of uh, sexual assault allegations. But, you know, personally, I don't see XXX or Kodak Black being dropped and it may have to do with the way rap portrays itself. And, you know, I think rap fans like Eric Andre putting himself out there on Twitter to call out these people, its I don't think it's going to do much, but it's definitely something. And it's definitely something that I want to hear more often. So, that's your Man of the Hour for today. And that's our show. To find out more information about Carl and the Fourth Line Podcast, Check out the fourth line at fourthlinepodcast.com or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. And you can also find the fourth line on Twitter at fourthlinepodcast or Carl himself at Carl Andra. If you have any questions, you have any comments about this episode in general, please give us a shout. 
You can also find me at Modern Man Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can check out all the episodes of Modern Manhood at modernmanhood.org. If you want to find out any more cool podcasts about Alberta or in general, you just want to hear some awesome podcasts, go to albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can find out more information about the Alberta Podcast Network and you can see and hear what's going on over there. There's going to be some cool stuff coming up in the head, so uh, keep an eye out for that. I hope everyone has a great week and we'll see you next time on the Modern Manhood Podcast.